Thank you for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church. To find out more about The Movement Church, you can check out our website at theocmovement.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The OC Movement. Good morning, Movement Church. Man, you picked the right Sunday. We've got a treat in store for you. We've been talking about this since we began this series, Not Alone, where we're tackling tackling topics that seem to isolate us the most, and we saved the best for last. But we, we wanted to really kind of close this out and, and bring in a powerhouse to come in and share a powerful story of just transformation and freedom. And this is a good friend of mine and Megan's, and uh, her name is Carrie Garcia. It's a great name. That just shows that there's pure genius all automatically. And uh, she's an amazing communicator, but even more more importantly than that, she fights for freedom for people all around the nation and beyond. Would you do me a favor and give a great round of applause for our friend, Carrie Garcia. Yes. <laughs> I got it this time. On the sidelines, he went, he went to go shake my hand. And then I, you know, that awkward thing where you're like, I don't, I don't, I don't know what we're doing and I don't know how to do it. So I'm not that cool, but he has grace. Thank God. Hi. Hi. Hey, you did come on the right Sunday because here's the thing. You can come and be like, I didn't really like her. And they'll be like, oh good. Cause she's not the actual pastor. I'll try it again. So there you go. Uh, I am so honored. And before we even jump in, I I truly am honored to be here, but I I think it's important. I've said this in all all three services now, um, but I do get the opportunity to travel and speak. And let me tell you, um, today is a special day because it's rare that churches are brave enough to begin talking about things that are really important and really painful and really fragile. But here's what I know about this church, because I know the pastors and they would not be having these conversations if they didn't believe it, because we don't talk about things that we don't want to unravel, open up, and they're not scared because they know that we serve a big God. So the fact that they're willing to have conversations about hard things and fragile things and tender things means that you are in a very safe place. So I know some of you come in with prejudices when you come into church. We can't help it. You might have been hurt by the church. You may have never been in church. Maybe today you came for the free child care. I get that. I feel that. But wherever you're here, you don't have to believe what I believe to belong here, but you are welcome on the journey that you're on because we're not interested in your behavior modification anymore, that we're truly interested in your heart transformation. And heart transformation doesn't happen without talking about hard things, fragile, tender things. So you're in such good company. So if you were on the fence about this church, you're like, I don't know, I, you know, I don't, I don't have tight jeans, whatever. Uh, you are... You are in the right place if what you're really wanting is hope and freedom. I truly believe it's being offered here. So that's, that's, that's my little segue into a little bit about me, because let's talk about ourselves. Um, I get the opportunity to travel around and speak. It's nuts, you guys. Speak all over the world I've gotten to speak. I run a nonprofit called Freedom Movement, and we really are just so committed to freedom. I kind of call myself a space holder because there is no way that I'm going to actually give you freedom. That's Jesus's job. But I believe that my role is to create space that makes it okay to talk about things that are hard. So we travel on a tour and we go around and do evangelistic events and we make evangelism not weird because let's be honest, it's been a little weird. 
you know. And, and so we make it not weird. We open up the conversation and make Jesus and his love for all people, all people, accessible. We do that, and I also run a coaching and counseling center here in Orange, Orange County. And I give you that narrative because I want you to understand that I am today going to talk about God's word, and I'm also going to talk about your brain because it's really important because God actually made your brain, and he created science too. <gasps> it's okay to talk about science. So we're going to talk a little bit about that, but mostly we're just going to see what God has to do. So I want you to take a deep breath because sometimes church is stressful and doesn't need to be. You're safe here. I, because I get to travel and do all of that because the way my brain works and actually your brain works this way too, I need a moments of rest. I need moments of unplugging. So every year, my two boys are in the front, so they're going to love this story. But every year we go on a road trip for about three weeks at a period of time. Now for you, that might not seem, um, you know, really restful or soul care to stick three of your children in a car and drive somewhere. But for us, I really love it. And I like to drive places that have mountains and trees and water because I just need to see creation because I'm in the mundane and the go. Um, of, of life, and so I got to get out. So last summer, we drove to Glacier National Park, and uh, which is on the border of Canada. I like to say I drove to Canada, because that's 22 hours in a car with my teenagers, <laughs> and, and all their video games, no judgment. Just give them the video games. Just do it. Here's your permission. Don't do it all the time, but if you're in a car with them, give it to them. <laughs> We drove all the way there, we're getting there, and it is beautiful. Now, you need to know something about me. I don't do cardio. I'm not that California girl that's like, I'm going with my body. No. <laughs> I'm like, I didn't even want my assistant to park in the parking lot. I'm like, girl, drop it off in the front, because I ain't trying to walk from the parking lot to here and carry my bag. <laughs> I'm not trying to sweat at this party, you know what I'm saying? So, but when I go on a road trip, I get all adventure mom. I'm like, we're going to do every hike. We're going to see every waterfall. We're going to just do it all. And my kids are like, we like our lazy mom. Where did she go? So I, did, I heard when we're in Glacier National, I heard that there's this place called Avalanche Lake. And it has seven waterfalls that go all around and go into the water. And I was like, we got to see this. And I'm sure it's a couple miles in and it'll be fine. It's an eight mile hike. Four in, four out. It's extensive. Now, let me tell you, we get on the road. We're ready to go. We're on the path. I may or may not have lied to my children and told them it was a two. Your parents do lie to you. Uh, it's how we survive. I told my kids one time that Chuck E. Cheese burnt down because I didn't want to go. The next week, I was like, let's go to Chuck E. Cheese. They're like, I thought it burnt down. I'm like, oh, they, re they rebuilt it. <laughs> let's go. It's how we survive. It's fine. So I told them, okay, it's going to be like two miles, mile in, mile out. Okay, so we're starting to hike, and, and it's long, you know? And, and as a parent, even if you're not a parent, if you're a kid, you've known this feeling when, when the, the breakdown's about to happen. You can feel it inside, like... I can, actually, that'll preach on its own. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm keeping up appearances, but breakdown's about to erupt. Now, my two boys, shirts off, my husband's shirt off, because any opportunity. Do you know what I mean? They're like, oh, we should take our shirts off for this. You know, and I'm like, okay, calm down. We kept our shirts on. But I have two boys and then a little girl, and my husband and my two boys are in front there. My husband has a knife out because he thought he heard a cougar. He's like... Like my husband's going to actually do something to a cougar with a little knife. We're city folk. 
I don't know what he's doing, but he's, he's ready. And they're way up there. And Roma, my daughter, is right behind me, and I can see, like, the baby giraffe legs starting to happen. And I'm like, oh, God, it's coming, it's coming. But, you know, you're like, hey, baby, you got this. Isn't that butterfly cool? She's like, I don't care about that butterfly. And, and you could start to see the tears start to well up. And I was like, oh, man, you can feel it. You can feel it's coming. And she's coming. At, and my husband's too far away because he's like Indiana Jonesing this, like, trail. And I'm like, you know, babe, babe. He's like, I got it, you know. <laughs> like, no, you don't. Cougar is the least of our worries right now. We about have eight-year-old have a breakdown. And that will destroy a cougar any day. <laughs> She's walking, and, and all of a sudden, she just lays out on the path, laid out, just, which also, I would love to do that too. When your kids just lay out in the grocery store, like crying, I'm like, actually, same, but it's not socially acceptable for me to lay in the grocery store, <laughs> but same. And, and I'm feeling, and she's watching, she lays down, and, and as any good parent, I'm like, come on, baby, you got this, you know, but there's part of me that's kind of angry too, so I'm like, get up! But no, just kidding, because she gets more upset, so that's not working. I'm like, do I get angry? Bribery. Bribery will work, and this is the best tactic of parents. It's all we got, man. And I look and I go, you know, my boys, money. My daughter, treats. I was like, hey, do you want a marshmallow? She was like, I hate this, girl. I hate you. I hate waterfalls. I hate butterflies. The moment I say treat, I was like, baby, do you want a marshmallow? And she's like, how many marshmallows? Fair. I was like, baby, you can have the whole bag. She was like, like the whole bag? Yes, the whole bag. You just got to get up, girl, because honestly, we got no options. We got to go. There's no way we're turning around without seeing seven waterfalls. She gets up, the hopes of marshmallows in her mind, and baby giraffes it to the, the waterfall. We finally make it, and we get there, and I'm like, baby, look at this. And it was, it was breathtaking. It was so beautiful. Really, truly, the water was beyond cold, but it was beautiful. We're looking at all of it, and I go, baby, look what you made it to. And she's like, I mean, I wish I could tell you. She was like, oh my gosh. She was kind of like, okay, it's fine. But within a few minutes, she began to play in the water with her brothers and got a stick and was having so much fun, you know? And then the story would be really great if I told you the way back was better, but it really wasn't, but we don't have time for all that. <laughs> for the purposes of my story today, <laughs> as she's on the journey going, I started to think about what we're talking about today. That so much of our lives are the journey of what we are hoping to get to, that we're looking at this proverbial hope and uh, an idea that God has for us or what we've been told, yet we are smack dab in the middle of the heat in the journey. And even though there may be good around us, we can barely see it because the journey has been so great and so long. And yet all we know is that I am ready to close this book, to close this chapter because the idea of waterfalls seems like a myth. It seems far away. And I, I was looking at my life and what I actually want to share with you in the short amount of time that I have. As growing up as a, as a child in ministry, my dad's a pastor. My mom was on the worship team by default because my, my dad was a pastor and she played the egg shaker. She's very spiritual. And, uh, you know, this was the 80s. That was radical. Uh, so she was up there, you know. That is who you are, you know. She has the triangle and the tambourine. We were, it was a whole thing back then. 
She sat in the front row for 50 years of her life listening to message after message. Here's the thing, though, is that when I grew up, and I think this might be even true today, we showed up to church. We were able to come. We, we put on our Sunday best, but we didn't talk about what was going on in the privacy of our home, the secrets and the shame, the, the secrets that my mom lived with, with severe eating disorder and severe mental illness. We were isolated and alone, but man, did we show up and perfection, and performance. And for me, this created a disconnect. If this is God, and all God really wants from me is my performance, then he'll never meet the brokenness of my heart. The fact that I had expectations that I was supposed to have a mommy who was present in my life, who cared about my story and the hurts that I was carrying, but she couldn't, through the grit of her own pain, reach my heart. And a dad who was wandering so far off because the pain of his home was so difficult that ministry would just be the thing that filled his brokenness. And we lived in isolation and frustration, hoping one day we'd make it to waterfalls. But the reality was we were stuck, laying on the midst of the trail, broken and alone and hot and hungry. I look at my life and I go, I know. If I don't have to feel these things, I will numb these things. And so for me, a decade of my life looked like numbing emotions that were too raw and too real and too unsafe to share. So for almost a decade, drugs became my story. Methamphetamines became my story. It almost took my life out. I decided, you know what? this is not a good path. I know what I'll do. I'll go into ministry because healthy people go into ministry. I had been groomed. You perform. You perform for God. So I did. I showed up every Sunday and I put on my Sunday best and I smiled. But when the lights were out and nobody was around, the reality was is I never dealt with why I did drugs in the first place. You see, addiction was never the issue. The issue was my broken, fragile heart that had no safe space to talk about what was really going on. Was this the God I serve? Is this the God of freedom and the God that reaches heart and heals names? Is this the way maker, the miracle worker? Is this what we're signed up for? Because if this is what we're signed up for, then I'm not here for it. Because I was doing all the behavior modifications I can do. Drugs, no. Men, no. Relationships, no. Ministry, no. Nothing is healing. When the lights are out and no one's around, I'm broken. I'm alone. I want you to be the way maker, God. And he begins to speak. It is not through your behavior modification that you will change. It is through your honesty of your broken heart that transformation begins to happen. I look at the scriptures and to be honest with you, for the longest time, these scriptures were pages of condemnation and hurt and a God who was so far away that I better get it together to come into the graces of his arms. And the reason why is because I was reading scripture through the grid of my rejection and my own pain. Wow. I was seeing my heavenly father like I was seeing my earthly home. And that will never be able to be a clear glimpse of what God is doing. For me, at 27 years old, which was like two years ago, I, um, <laughs> everything came crashing down. You see, you can only believe lies for so long, till they become your truth. Till isolation as I sat, ministry was over, marriages were over, lives were broken, 
my life was disqualified. I sat in a studio apartment and I thought, what would it be like if I wasn't here? Life would be better. In fact, I saw the same story being told through the grid of my mom's life. You see, if you get nothing today, I want you to hear this. If you believe lies long enough, they become your truth. And the truth is there is an enemy. Whether we like it or not, you know in your heart someone has been fighting for you, but someone has been fighting against you. And that, that someone is trying to take you out. They know the purpose on your life. They know the call that you hold. They know the power and the authority of what will happen when you begin to walk in healing and freedom. And as my mom, isolated, removed, although the front row for 50 years, taking notes, she had nowhere to share the depths of her heart. And God's love was through the narrative of an absent mom and a distant dad. So for her, the only story she could have was, it would be better if I wasn't here. It was one of the worst days of my life. And there I was, sitting at a stop sign, looking as the bus was about to come, and thinking almost in my own despair, in the middle of the story, in the middle of the trail, it will be better if I'm not here. But there is a voice. There is a voice that speaks often sometimes quiet, but very poignant. I've seen everything you've done. If you turn this car around, the road will be hard, the journey will be great, but I will be with you. What does scripture even say to this? You see, as I began to turn the car around and begin the journey of what it meant to get honest about why and where and what was going on in my heart, I began to see the Bible in a whole new way. I began to read through not the grid of my own brokenness and the lens of my own pain, but through the lens of a loving, God-creating Father who has and holded me and molded me by his image. And he began to speak truth to my heart, stuff that I began to see and go, wait a minute, you mean this book is full of a bunch of misfits and one good God? Every page I would flip, broken people, broken people, broken stories, wounded hearts, and Jesus redeeming and coming and bringing truth and power page after page. Even Jesus Christ himself in his own brokenness cried out to God, I don't want to do this anymore. And God ministers. So today I want to begin to change some of the narratives that you hold in the few minutes that I have to give you a change of perspective that what God is doing is may not rescuing you right now from the current situation you're in, but that you can begin to understand that he is present in the pain. Wow. That this is where he lives and this is where he does his work. We come to 1 Kings. We hear about a man named Elijah. We know Elijah. We've heard a lot about him. Highlight reel of Elijah is all of a sudden plopped off the scene. All of a sudden, just where does this guy come from? He just shows up. I've done so much research, not a lot about him until he shows up. Yeah. Shows up and tells the king that's, uh, of Israel who's just taken over the land. He said, look, famine's coming. You're not obeying God. And it ain't gonna come, rain again until I come back. Mike drops and leaves. I was like, yes, Elijah. I wanna be Elijah. And then I find out, I'm like, maybe I don't wanna be like, maybe I am Elijah. Anyway. I begin to read and I start to see how God provides for him in the midst of him hiding out. You see, when you get crazy, 
before a king, you get a mark on your head. So he's got to hide out. But as he's hiding out, Jesus sends birds, ravens, the creepy birds, to feed him by a water. Then he goes into a city and he ends up hanging out with a lady and he gets food and he brings a child back from the dead. He goes back to King Ahab. He calls all the prophets. He calls fire from heaven. It's a whole story. I don't have time. Go read it because the Bible's not boring. I don't know. If someone's preaching it wrong, if it's boring, he calls fire from heaven. Rain is going to begin to come. The prophets are going, and now Elijah's like, yeah, it's my time. I've been waiting. You know what I'm saying? You've been waiting for this. Some of you, politically, you're like, I'm waiting. You know, I was like, calm down. We're waiting, you know. God's going to show up. He's going to rain. It's going to be awesome. I mean, right next to him, like, that's my God. You know what I mean? I'm with him. This is Elijah. I mean, he's been waiting patiently, doing what he needs to do. And now he tells King Ahab, see that little cloud? It's coming with some rain. You better go tell your terrible wife, Jezebel, that I am on my way with my God. And he gets supernatural speed. You got to read the scriptures. It's so like Scooby-Doo lakes. <laughs> King Ahab is in a chariot, takes off, and it says that he was granted with supernatural speed to outlast the chariot and get there first. I know you haven't read that scripture because that's a good one. I was reading, I was like, hold up. <laughs> Did he get Scooby-Doo legs? <laughs> he gets there and then he shows up and Jezebel lets him know, you better run because I've already killed all the prophets and I'm about to kill you. And in an instant, Elijah is struck with fear. And I'm reading this and he begins to run. And he starts to go into the wilderness. In fact, him and his servant, which is so interesting, but he leaves his, ser his servant in a town and goes on by himself. Keep a pin in that because isolation is the number one key that the enemy will use to be able to start to break you down. So he, here he goes in fear. And I'm reading this and I'm going, what happened, Elijah? You called fire from heaven. You had supernatural speed. And now you're scared of some girl? What is going on here? I mean, we are tough, but you know what I'm saying? We can't be scary because my husband's like, I'm, a, I'm a scared of you. <laughs> I get that. But really? You called fire from heaven and now you're going to be this scared? So I begin to read what's going on here. And I start to see, oh, when we have a loss of expectation, it triggers us deep. It goes deep into our wounds. You see, many of us show up and we look at the story and we go, I'm not Elijah, but pain is pain. It just comes in different packages. And for us, we understand, maybe not Elijah's story, but we understand loss of expectation. We should have had a better mom. We should have had a better dad. We should have never have had that happen to us. My marriage should look better. My kids should be better. What am I doing wrong, God? I've been waiting for you. And now, when we're ready to have breakthrough, I'm waiting for the big to happen, and you don't show up. And that's real. We don't want to act like that's real, because that's not good faith. That's not a good Christian. So we stuff that even more, and we just go, okay, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. And God, God's like, I'm not asking you to lie. I'm asking you to be honest. Here Elijah goes, and he finds himself in the wilderness, and he's just laid out. His expectations have been shattered because he was ready for his God to take back the land. And not only that, he was ready to be right next to him. He was ready to finally have the glory that he was so desperately wanting. He wanted the story to look a certain way, and when it didn't happen that way, he started pushing everyone away. 
How often when the expectations of your own life are shattered, and we've all had them, by the way, no one in this room gets off by not experiencing trauma in some kind of form, whether big T trauma or little t trauma, trauma by essence is anytime we've experienced powerlessness. And it comes from places that are so fragile and tiny, places of our hearts as grown-ups that we go, oh, it's no big deal, it's fine, I'll stuff that, I don't have to deal with that. But if we dig a little bit deeper or scratch a little bit more, like I'm doing right now, we can feel the tenderness, we can feel the hurt, almost in a childlike way, because we feel unsafe and we feel guarded. By the way, that's just how your body survives. Your body is amazing, and your brain does things like keeping people at a distance because it needs to survive. But God has more. As Elijah is laying down in the kindness and goodness of, uh, of our father, I think God is going to say, what are you doing? Get up. I've given you all the powers of heaven. Are you kidding me, Elijah? I let you call fire from heaven, and you're going to treat me like this? You're going to run in fear? How dare you? Are we being honest? Because I think we think this way so often about God that we think, I better get it together. I better, I better show up. I better kill it for the kingdom. It's like, man, it's really aggressive. Like, I, I don't know. I barely got dressed today. I don't know who I'm killing it for. And yet we do have this narrative because there has been somebody in your life that has spoken these kind of condemnation words over you. But God doesn't do this. You see, God of the Old Testament, I know we love Jesus of the New Testament because he's fuzzy and kind and good. He's also a lot more thug than you'd think. But God, he looks at one of his angels and this is me paraphrasing because this is how I do the Bible, but go read it. He looks and he says, one of my kids is hurting. One of my kids is in need. Not one of my servants, not, not one of my army men, not one of my, you know, the, the, the guy that I'm counting on everything. No, one of my kids. You see, when, you look, when he looks at you, he doesn't see what you do for him. He sees himself in you compassion and grace and he sends his angel and brings him cake and water as he rests cake because cake's holy and good because nobody wants a quinoa bowl when they're depressed nobody actually ever wants a quinoa bowl because it tastes like dirt and I know we're in California and everyone's like I'm so healthy and I'm like stop you actually hate that food I know you do not only does he bring cake one time, but he brings it a second time because seconds are holy of cake. Yes, I just love this. Do you understand the narrative beginning to shift here? That we're looking down at a God, we're looking at a God who we have such a narrative about his love for us that is so performance and do, and we couldn't be more wrong. Yes, there is a call on your life. Yes, there is destiny. Yes, there is a reason while you are struggling so much because you unleashed and the power of God in you will change the mountains. You think that my mom taking her life was the very thing that 
that could have taken me out. It was the very thing the enemy wanted to use because it hurt me to the core. Instead, her story is still being used today and the enemy has no power over death. It bows to God. So her story is not in vain. And you know what? Neither is mine and neither is yours. So God begins to move and give care. When God sees you and you are struggling and you are frustrated, when you are hurting, God is not looking down telling you to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Have more faith. Come on. No, he's giving you cake. He's letting you rest. You see, Elijah had shattered expectations, but he also had fear and he was tired. Aren't you tired, friend, of trying to go on the path by yourself, of trying to get to the end and arrive? What a myth. What a mystery God is, but what a myth to think that somehow on our own, we will arrive to some destination of victory. What we arrive to is an understanding that yes, God is in the big and the miraculous, but where God moves, where God heals, and where God transforms is not in the big, it's in the broken. You see, God doesn't need you to toughen up. He needs you to open up. This is where he moves. At the end of the story, we find Elijah, he's been walking for like 40 days isolation just becoming more and more. And in fact, science shows us that chronic isolation actually begins to cause atrophied in your brain, which then begins to produce despair. You were made for connection. You were actually hardwired for it. So when you begin to isolate, you are actually fighting against your neurological makeup. It is not good for man to be alone. Not because it's nice to have a friend. No, because you are scientifically, neurologically wired to do life in community. It's, it's why we exist. Jesus, God, Holy Spirit, never alone. Why would that be okay for you? Because if the enemy can isolate you, he can say anything he wants to you. And you begin to believe. When you are tired and you are scared, you begin to believe lies and you need someone to speak that truth. As God began to connect to him, here is Elijah in the cave wandering. He comes out and says, what are you doing, Elijah? What are you doing? And in his self-righteousness and his hurt, he says, I have zealously served you, God. But everybody's dead and I'm all alone. What Elijah doesn't know is that two chapters earlier, Obadiah, who worked for King Ahab, actually snuck 100 prophets, put them underground, and were waiting for the day when God will rise. That there were 7,000 men and women in Israel that have not bowed. Elijah was ready to end the story before he got to the waterfall. And I think some of you are ready to end the story before it's even begun. I wish that my mama was here today. I think she'd be really proud of how many people are getting honest about their story in a way that she never could. I think she'd be so proud that the hope that she wished she could have held on to, that it's being transferred now through the story of her pain, but through the fact that 
I turn the car around. And so can you. This is what God is offering in the midst of the cave. Elijah, despondent. Jesus says, come out. God says, come out. Holy Spirit says, come out to the edge of the cave. And the earthquakes begin to happen. And fire comes. And, the, and all of the, the, the rocks start trembling. And it says, and God was not in it. And then a whisper came on the wind. And there was God's voice. You think that victory happens in the big and the breakthrough. No, victory happens in the broken, so there can be breakthrough. That's how it works. Life is not going to be happy and jolly all the time, not because God is not good, but because when your humanity meets God's deity, this is when we are able to walk through the valley of the shadow of death without fear. That's what the scripture means. You can't have hope without death. You can't have life without understanding that there are pains that are real and tender and fragile. You see, God had a destiny on Elijah. Put your mantle on now, brother. It is time to rise up. And as Elijah began to step forward, God began to pour purpose and passion over him. Elijah knew about the big. He knew about the fire he could call. He saw breakthrough in other people's lives. But it wasn't until Elijah was flat on his face, ready to end it all, has had enough that he knew the true power of the living God. That is when he began to step in purpose and destiny. Don't look for the big to be what heals you. Look for the broken places and offer them to a giant, loving, almighty, all-powerful, very, very personal God who loves you and wants to meet you. Don't leave here unchanged. Don't come here and check a box. I'm so not interested in that. I don't need you to come to church. God doesn't need you to come to church. What you need is honesty, community, rest, so that you can begin to step into your purpose. I am here today. I do what I do, compelled from the tip of my toes to the top of my head, compelled, because not on my watch will Satan have the last word in the lives of my fellow human image bearer brothers and sisters, that we will speak and unlock a box that has been hidden for far too long. We will start to get honest because we deserve freedom because it was died for. It was paid for. You have no idea the amount of authority and power and love resides in you. You have no idea. But once you get a taste of it, once you get a taste of freedom and a taste of hope, it quenches the most deepest thirsts of your heart. And this is what's being offered. Put your performance outside the door and bring your honesty before the throne of God. Lay down if you need. So I don't know where I find you this morning. Maybe you are on the journey and on the path. You just started and you are at a place where you are laid down. Could we offer a meal to you? Could we offer you water and rest? It's okay to be kind to the 
fragile places of your heart that need it. Be kind to yourself. Very hard on yourself. Maybe you're in the cave and you've been wandering and it is time to take your mantle. It is time to step forward and understand that it is not your pain that will take you out. In fact, it is your pain that will bring purpose. God doesn't need you to toughen up. He did it all. He needs you to open up and be honest. Our lives will begin to heal when we stop pretending. God can take it. He can take your anger. He can take your pain. He can take your shame. And he turns it into some of the most glorious stories that have ever risen, risen out. If you're here today with, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want you to have a moment. Like if this, if this story, if this God narrative is speaking to this place in your heart and you're just on the edge of your seat, you can feel it. And you go, man, I just, I don't think I've ever made that commitment to Christ. I don't think I've ever asked Jesus to actually join me in the journey. I've been doing it all on my own. If that is you here today, don't leave here without the power of the heavens guiding you through the midst of your journey. And if that's you here and you want to know Jesus as your savior, he died for you. He rose again. And it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord over your life, you will be saved, rescued, redeemed. And if that's you here today, if you just raise your hand, nobody looking around, you just go, I want that. I need that. You just raise your hand and you let me know. Yes, I see your hand. Bless you. I see your hand. Thank you, God. And I just want to pray, God, if there, I know that there are people here today, we will say that prayer of salvation in just a second. No magical prayer, just a prayer of true honesty. But God, I believe that there's some people in this room that have been sitting like my dear mama and like me, maybe in the front row for so many years or the back row, thinking the story is for everybody else. Lord, I just thank you right now that right now you want to exchange hurt for hope, fear for faith, brokenness, God, for new life. So God, even though we may have made that profession of faith and we have allowed you to come in, we have not really offered up the most fragile places of our heart. Would you begin today to move, God, that we would take out the pretense, the performance, and the expectation that we think you want from us. And in all honesty, wherever we are, that we would let your quiet voice speak to our heart right now and say, go deeper, God. Uproot the lies. Help me to walk in freedom. Make a way, God. For those that want to know Jesus, this prayer looks like this. Jesus, I can't do it anymore. Would you come? and be Lord over my life and begin to walk with me through every aspect of my life until the day I see you, I receive you. And I just pray again, God, for those that are moving in this room on a journey that felt hopeless and despair, may they know, God, that you are a way maker. 
that you are a miracle worker, that you are present even when we can't feel it, even when we can't see it. You are making a way that the story is not over, that the story is in your hands. And when you invade our story, paths change, lives change, marriages heal, kids come back from the dead, God, and our story that was trying to take us out, now in the hands of God, is bringing hope and freedom to our lives and the world around us. This is what's being offered. May we never settle for less. May we cry out from the depths of our heart and may you invade space and time and meet us, God, in the fragility of our humanity as it meets God's deity, your deity, God, and we fully walk in the incarnate Christ, the presence of you, God. We thank you, God, that today is a day that we turn the car around. We thank you that today is the day that we walk in the authority and the power that you have given us. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer with us today, we are so excited to be a part of this journey with you. Please email us at info at theocmovement.com. And if you were not in the area, we would love to help you find another life-giving church near you. Please send us an email at info at theocmovement.com. Thank you again for listening to another inspiring message from the Movement Church.